Welcome in to the Think Deeper podcast. I'm your co-host, Joe Wilkie, joined as always by Jack Wilkie and Will Harib. And before we get into a great episode today, we wanted to come out with something that we are very excited, actually. We're very excited about, and it's going to be taking place on April 4th at 6 p.m. It is a Focus Press Benefit Dinner. Focus Press Benefit Dinner. This will be at the Winchester Church of Christ, $7 a person. Dinner will be provided by Bob Tracy's Barbecue. And a church can purchase a full table if they want. Um, But what we're going to be discussing here is the upcoming plans for Focus Press. We have teased a lot on this podcast. We've talked a lot about, hey, we've got this coming and that coming. We have so much more than than what we've even said on this podcast. And that's going to be a great place where you get to see the future of Focus Press. The things we're going to be going into, the videos and and the podcasts and a lot of different things that we're just pumped about. So we'd love if you'd supported us. We'd love if you... If you want to be there and, and come see what we're doing, it's really going to be for those that are going to be in the Middle Tennessee area. But hey, if you want to drive from really far away away, go for it. Uh, we'd love to see you. But yeah, we're very excited. Again, that's going to be on April Tuesday, April 4th at 6 p.m. One of the other things I was going to say too, yeah, is a week ago, my wife and I were at CYC uh, with the Focus Press table there. And it was just really cool to get to meet a lot of the uh, Focus Press supporters that maybe we know virtually via Facebook comments and things like that, or maybe some of the podcast listeners. Really cool to get to to meet a lot of those people, and that's another thing that we really are hoping to get out of this Focus Press benefit dinner. If, if you plan on attending, hey, we love to meet our supporters. We love to meet the people that that enjoy our content, that that give us the the positive feedback on social media and things like that. So, of course, it's we're really excited about the dinner to announce some upcoming plans that we've got. Um, so if you can be there, if you can support, we'd love to love for you to be there, and we'd love to love to get to meet you. Um, yeah, that, that's all I've got. Anything else to add to that? If yeah, if you got questions, obviously reach out to us on Facebook. Message us. You can call us. Um, find us online. This is going to be. You can find this or more information at focuspress.org/backslash/benefit. Again, focuspress.org/backslash/benefit. There will be. I, I think we're going to put a link just from the homepage of the website, but. Um, you'll find it on Facebook. We're going to have more information. So yeah, reach out to us if, if that's something you're interested in. Email us, Facebook message again, and we'd be happy to get you more information if you are interested in attending. Jack, anything else to add to that? Nope. Good for me. We ready to get rolling? Absolutely. Thanks. All right. We got a, last time we did Q&A, this time we, this is, I guess, technically Q&A part three, but we're not going to call it that because we got one particular question from a listener. And it was a lengthy one, uh, but it was one that as I read it, it just stopped me in my tracks because I related to it so much. And I think you guys did maybe to a lesser extent than me, but I also know I've, I've written on this over the years. I've gotten feedback. This is something that a, I, a topic I know a lot of people connect with, uh, that a lot of people feel very deeply. And that's this idea of feeling Christian, of you go to worship, but man, you just... You don't feel connected to God. Praying is is something that you do, and you know you're supposed to do it, and you believe everything intellectually. That's really the point the the lady made with the email was she's not questioning at all. She doesn't have any doubts about her faith. The Bible is real. God is real. Jesus died and raised rose again, and all of those things. But man, sometimes you you just go to church and you see other people really taking it in and and just full of joy and energy and compassion and emotion for this relationship with God. And for us, it, it, it can be very cold, stale, very, almost. Cal- you know, very, it can be stale. It can be that the head fully gets at the heart, just doesn't, the heart's just there along for the ride, but is not really feeling that connection. And, and you hear people talking about just this, or you read the Psalms and David and that just all encompassing love for God that he has 
and you go, why don't I have that? Why don't I feel that? What's wrong with me? Do I not get it? And so I'm not going to read the entire email, but I want to hit a few points that, again, somebody who intellectually agrees with it. I'll ask, I'll I'll read the first paragraph, the the questions uh, that came out of it. Um, How does those who believe unconditionally in God, that his word is truth, go from a cerebral concept to true life application? What exactly does a relationship with Christ look like on a day-to-day basis? Maybe those that struggle with intangible concepts live a life of obedience and, and uh, in obedience and trust to God, who by nature is intangible. Um, and and so she gives examples again of knowing it uh, when you pray, especially praying in your head, just feels like you're talking to yourself, um, not really feeling like there's even though you can't see God, you know, not really feeling that He's there, not not feeling the the connection. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, she believes everything uh, that, that she's confessed, everything that she stands behind, but um, very little emotion. She reigned what what does surface, she reigns back in as quickly as possible. And so this lady she gave the example of considers herself a Stoic, uh, you know, the Aurelian and the old philosophy and all that of uh, really just very even keel, not too high, not too low, and just kind of keeping it in that range. And so you never feel that that deeper connection with God. And so uh, it's one of these things that as I read it, you are, as I read it, you're either listening to this going, okay, you know, I feel bad for the lady, or you're going, wow, somebody else too. Somebody else is, is right where I am. And, and as I said, as I read it, that's where it hit me is like, man, I've, I've dealt with that same thing a number of years. Uh, I've talked to my sister, same questions come up. I mean, th- this is something that I think Christians deal with, a lot of Christians, and especially, I would say, those born and raised in the church. Something, uh, a phenomenon I've noticed, and you guys might uh, relate to as well, is those that convert in their later teenage years or in their adulthood who didn't grow up with all this, the stories and the Bible and all that, there's sometimes a lot more energy and passion for the church there than those of us that have been there the whole time. Have you guys seen that? Oh, yeah. I think that's the Absolutely. evidence of what you're talking Absolutely. about. Yeah, and so it, it's it, there's a familiarity there, but it's also just a struggle to connect with God. I don't think that those that, well, those that grow up in the church have the knowledge that they can rely on, right? They can be very cerebral about it, very intellectual about it. Those that come to God later, they didn't grow up in the church. They didn't hear all the Bible stories. They don't have the knowledge that they can just fall back on. So to me, it's as they're growing in their knowledge, they grow in their emotions. I was going to say, the, for the person that converts later in life, in a way, it seems like the heart attaches first, or the emotions come first with the head knowledge and the logic coming later. Again, for the person that converts, whereas the person that grew up in the church, they've had the, I mean, I think of myself, I've had the creation versus evolution stuff pounded into my head. I've, I've had the, look, we can know that God exists. We can know the Bible is inspired. I've got all that head knowledge, whereas, and, and same with the Bible knowledge, whereas the person who once again converts in their 20s, that head knowledge is not necessarily there, so their conversion might be more of an emotional thing, more of a heart thing. So I think that's the the, the difference there, because I, I this is one of those things that I've thought about before as well. It's the idea of, okay, are you are you just kind of faking it? You know, the fake it till you make it type of thing. She, The lady brings up in um, this particular email, the First John chapter 5, where uh, this particular person that she's describing, First John 5, 13, he says, These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And I think a lot of it, for a lot of people that I've talked to, 
do we know? Like, are, are we really sure? Is it one of those where we kind of have perfect peace of mind because we absolutely know? I think a lot of people who grow up in the church, again, the logic and head knowledge is there, but the emotion, the emotional is not. And I think real quick, Joe, I'll hand it back to you. The reason for that, one of the reasons I should say, is what do churches focus on so much? The head, the logic, the knowledge, we kind of push emotion out because we don't want to be the denominational world with all the kind of touchy-feely uh, type of mindset. We, we prefer the, the doctrine, the head, the knowledge, and so I think that's probably part of the issue. Well, that's what I was going to ask. How much do you think this is a Church of Christ problem? Do you think, like the, the Baptists, the Lutherans, the Presbyterians, kids that grow up in those churches, I know they walk away at similar rates. I'm not saying they don't have that. But I am curious if the lack of emotion attached is there because they do base so much more of their worship on emotion, at least a few of them. And yeah, you can get the Pentecostals and that's no truth in all emotion a lot of the time. But I'm wondering if this is just a Church of Christ problem. What are your thoughts on that, Jack? I don't think it's a Church of Christ problem. I've I've read of similar things from people in the denominational world. I think it is something of the conservative end of the spectrum because, you know, there's conservative denominations who... They might have instruments and things that we would disagree with, but as far as their interpretation of the Bible, they're they're trying to be more strict than some of these loose ones that you see where anything goes. And anything where, again, it's this intellectual side, it's the head and the heart. And we, we spoke about this on the deconstruction episode where the heart drives the head. The heart walks away from God and the head figures out a way to make it work. Whereas this is... There are a lot of us who grew up in the church where the head knows, I can't walk away from this. There is no convincing argument. Evolution just doesn't stop being stupid just because, you know, like I don't. And so the head is what's keeping you engaged and walking with God. But the, the heart, you're just still waiting to feel it. And, you know, she brought up, as Will said, First John five thirteen, if you can know. And it's like, okay, intellectually I do that. But you're also waiting for the peace that passes understanding, Philippians 4. Uh, you're, you're waiting for... Just that the the joy, you know, beyond all else, and and you don't feel that, but you you just don't. Well, I'm supposed to, and and so what do I do with that? And I wrote a series of articles on this over the years, exploring this in my own life. Of well, how do you, how do you get there? Why do I? And the first one, these are all on FocusPress.org, was called the challenges of growing up in the church, and it was my my theory on that was we never feel truly lost. You're a good kid. You grow up. You know, you never do anything too bad. You're, you're just, you're just there. You go to church. You know the Bible, as as Will said. I mean, I, I think the three of us probably knew the plan of salvation from like first grade kindergarten range, even if we didn't relate to it or or follow it, obey it just quite yet. But we knew conceptually all the way back then. And so you just go from that to where one day, all right, it's time to get baptized. Go get baptized. And so you don't. So there's never really the a true yeah, grasping of what you've been saved from. I think would be a way to put right, that. right. And so that was kind of my conclusion is really dwell on that and, and sin and how it separates us from God. And I think there's some value to that, but it's not all of it. But Joe, I think you had some thoughts on this part as well. Well, yeah, because I grew up in the same position of, yeah, I was baptized at 10. There's been a lot of discussion. Should I get rebaptized? You know, did I, did I know what I was doing? Yeah, I did. I did. And I think the sheets that they had me fill out to make sure that I knew that doesn't change. However, I didn't really grasp the depth of sin until I got into pornography at the age of 12. So two years later, I'm coming into that world. And from that point on, like you talk about understanding the depth of your sin, feeling like the worst person ever, the shame just being all encompassing. And when you truly start to grasp the love of God through that, 
And I'll tell you what it was, is it was accountability partners showing me unconditional love and showing me that's the love of God. And when I recognized it in people, that's when I really started to feel like, oh, this is what it looks like. They're not actually running from me. I'm not a monster. I, I don't have to live in shame. And when that connects and you really feel God, and I've had two experiences in my life. This is going to sound weird. I've had two experiences in my life where I visualized, like legitimately visualized Jesus coming into the room. No, do I don't, I don't, I'm not on that. You know, I had a vision. It was more of like a very deep meditation of Jesus coming into the room where I expected the, the scolding remark. I expected that. And instead he comes over and hugs me and in both situations bawling. And that's where the emotion really started to connect for me is like, I don't deserve this, but I saw it in other people. And I know that God loves me that way. And to have that happen to me changed my perspective. That really brought in emotion where there was no emotion before. So I do think that understanding the depth of your sin and understanding people who love you despite the depth of your sin is, I wouldn't say a fast track to feeling emotion, but it certainly helps you feel something that God intended us to feel. Like the church is his, as it says in the Bible, are his arms and his hands and his feet, right, to carry out his will. He does love us. How do you tangibly feel that? Well, you have to have other people in your life showing you that. You're getting into the, well, I'm, the, I'm the, the getting good into part. The, right, on. I'm getting into the later parts, but, but let, it we're starts still, with... We're still focusing on right. some of like the wrong things that we're throwing at. But it at. starts and, with the depth of the sin, this, is what I'm saying. Right. What, what I'm saying is that if we're not careful with that, it, it devolves into beating ourselves up. And we really think, and I see this among the Reformed, the Calvinist people a lot of, oh man, I'm just wretched, I'm worthless, I'm trash, I'm, and, and you think that you're like drawing yourself near to God by that, and it's like there's a recognition of sinfulness, of the need for God, of, uh, you know, while we were yet sinners, and everything Romans 5 talks about for sure, but man, just constantly beating yourself up is not good. Like, like you're saying, Joe, it's supposed to lead to accepting the love and accepting yeah, while I was yet a sinner, he died for me. And so there's there's great but love it in brought that, but in I don't valleys. Need to keep beating myself up. It, it, it brought in valleys when I was on a straight path. It brought in valleys that then allowed or led to the mountaintop is what I'm talking. So I know your point. We have to balance it because we can go into nothing but valleys. And that's not good. But I was riding on a straight path on a very flat piece of ground where there were, really were no ups and downs until I hit pornography, in which case that shot me into the deepest valley of my life. That's where I started to feel the emotion, not the emotion I wanted to feel, but I started to feel on a much deeper level. That then allowed me to break through past the even ground, if that makes sense. But there's going to be people who say, okay, but I, I didn't deal with pornography or drunkenness or drugs or violence or, you know, anything, sure, sure. you know, stealing money or whatever, uh, you know, again, generally a good person and you can get into, well, but you know, we're all, you know, sinful and our good deeds are filthy rags and all that. That's true, but it's still hard to feel like lost separated like that need that's what there. that's what and i was so gonna sometimes, say sometimes you know is what, what do we constantly in the scripture it refers to it constantly as a gift well you know romans 6 uh what is it 23 wages of sin is death but the gift of god well if you don't feel the need for a gift or if you're if, if it's one of those things where you're like okay this is really nice to have but i don't necessarily you don't, you don't appreciate the gift as much and i see that specifically again with the people that grew up in the church that like y'all like y'all are saying generally good kids that again, have all the head knowledge, they're not going to appreciate the quote-unquote gift as much if they don't see the value in it as somebody who maybe came from a really rough past. And that's that's the ones to me you, you see that are really just passionate about the, about God and about being a Christian. 
the ones that, that had an awful past, the ones that maybe got into some legal trouble, maybe spent time in jail, that they come to Christ and it's like, man, I really appreciate this gift. It really is to them. It's this gift that they could never have gotten themselves. And so that's what drives their passion. That's what drives their commitment. Whereas, again, and I'm right there in this boat, the person who grew up in the church, never been in any legal trouble or anything like that, the gift, the, the value of the gift is a little bit harder to grasp if you don't truly recognize the point at which you are uh, apart from Christ as, as to the reason why God gave you that gift. Does that make sense? That would be the... the other. Well, Jesus talked about that. If he who is forgiven little loves yeah. little, forgiven much loves much. And the point is the Pharisees were thinking, yeah, we don't have that much to be forgiven for, if anything. And he's pointing out, yeah, you do. But on the other hand, he is surrounded by the prostitutes and the tax collectors, the outcasts who are like, wow, you, you want to hang out with us? And that is something that, again, a Pharisee is going to have a hard time relating to, even when they do realize, I need a Savior, I need Jesus. They're, it's not going to be the same, and that, that is a challenge. That's a real thing, that trying to manufacture a depth of... like They've, they've literally never felt what the Pharisee or tax collector, or I mean, what the, the prostitute or tax collector has felt as an outcast in their sin or whatever else. And, and so trying to manufacture that, you're still ch chasing a feeling to try and validate this thing. And so there's the self-flagellation part. There's the beating ourselves up. There's I'm going to go to another one. So did you have anything to add on that I was that just going to say, that's also, and we're going to get to this, I'm sure, but not to encourage the young people who grew up in the church to go the route of the prodigal son. All right, well, let, let me go actually experience what it's like to be apart from the grace of God, because that might be a conclusion that, that some people reach is, okay, well, if I really want to appreciate the gift, I need to go that direction. That's certainly, of course, not what we're saying, but go ahead, Jack. Well, I would say right before that, don't do that. We're not, we're not saying that at all. However, that is a story I was talking with a guy just over the weekend. He went away from the church, you know, for, for a decent time. And then as for two different guys, and they came back um, later, then having their own faith, not the faith of their parents, but having their own faith because they did live outside of Christ for a time and said, whoa, what am I doing? That's a story. That's a very common story. I think that's why a lot of people walk away is they don't feel it. And then they gain basically the experience to feel it. That's not the answer either. So to your point, Will, but that is very common for that to happen. And I'm wondering if maybe that's part of it is they need to be able to feel lost. I don't know. Jack, go ahead. The idea that. that we really have to get to in this is that somebody doesn't have to wander away. Somebody doesn't have to fall way off the path. Somebody right. doesn't have to do the prodigal thing to feel it. And so we're going to get to that in a bit. But I want to talk about other like false paths towards feeling that walk with God. And one of them is fake it till you make it. Of, you know, Lewis had a quote, and I'm going to quote him again later, I believe, but... It's an interesting thing of, you know, well, how do I know if I love my neighbor? He's like, well, just start treating them that way. And in in doing it, in actively loving them, you're going to come to feel it. That doesn't necessarily work with God. You know, okay, well, I'm going to go to church every time. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. And, and you're looking for, okay, I'm acting like I love God. That's the proof that I love God. And it's going to fake it till you make it kind of thing. I don't think that works because... You're, you're just constantly looking for something. And, and this is John Piper, a uh, big, uh, what is he, a Baptist writer or something, uh, has this thing where he says, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. And it sounds deep and profound. That has messed up more people than, I mean, it, because what is the emphasis of that? What are What is the gauge of your relationship with God right there? How satisfied you are in Him. Am What's I satisfied enough? So you're constantly, 
am I am I satisfied enough? And it's like when you go on vacation, and you know, let's say you get to go somewhere great, London, Paris, or I, I don't know, wherever anybody considers great, a national park or whatever. Uh, shout out our our man Chase Green on that one. Um, the wherever it is you're gonna go and you've got a week there and every day you wake up and you're like am i enjoying I, it enough I right do yesterday right did i enjoy yesterday or did i you know that fear of missing i've out done thing. this like, i've only got yeah. Uh, yeah i've only got 72 hours left in this vacation am i gonna you know go go eat at a restaurant am i gonna go to the beach am i gonna what am i gonna do like how about just enjoy it how about just relax or I was trying to ex- explain this, talk this through with my wife last night because she didn't quite understand the struggle because it's something I deal with more than her. And another illustration I came up with was checking your pulse. If if there's a purpose to checking your pulse, and that's to see what is my heart rate, is it elevated? Am I, you know, did I work out really hard or what? What you know, just there is a purpose for it. You don't need to do it very often. But if every morning you get up and check your pulse, like, am I still alive? Am I still alive? Like. Of course you're alive. The fact that you are alive to check your pulse means you're alive. Well, in the same sense, like, am I a Christian? Am I a Christian? Am I enjoying God enough? Am I getting enough out of this? Believe that you're a Christian, okay? Accept that. But this idea, this John Piper idea of God is most glorified in me when I'm most satisfied in him, it's that checking your pulse. Am I satisfied in God? Am I satisfied in God? Am 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 I enough? Well, who are you looking at every single time through that whole thing? Who are you looking at with the feeling the depth of your sin thing? Who is the the camera pointed at in all of this? Me. That's the problem. That is the problem. Is There's a self-awareness there that can be good from time to time, but the nature of the Christianity is self is, is pointed at self to say, Am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? Am I? And there's a self-consciousness there that you developed in childhood and from school or from parenting or a number of different places that led you to constantly be thinking, you know, am I, am I meeting the, the approval standards? That's the problem. And so, but I would say there uh, are, do you guys have anything to add? Go ahead. I would say just to kind of give the, uh, I don't know if I want to call it devil's advocate, the other side of it, um, to the John Piper, there is an aspect where that is true. I do think God wants us to enjoy him. He wants us to enjoy his presence. I think that's what, what heaven is all about is spending a lifetime enjoying the presence of God being satisfied in the presence of God and him gaining or being glorified in it. So I, from a theological perspective, I don't actually think he's wrong. From a practical perspective, I know exactly what you're saying. It leads toward an inner look where we always feel dead. We're never enjoying him enough. To add to your point, Joe, I would say that's why a lot of specifically young people struggle with this. They don't have that relationship with God. They, they got Again, they got the head knowledge. They got the Bible knowledge. They know they're supposed to go to church. They don't enjoy God. They don't enjoy God's presence. They don't. They don't have that relationship with Him. It's it's an inherited faith. It's their parents' faith. It's whatever. And so, yeah, th- there are two sides to this. Where technically he's not wrong, but Jack, I agree with you as well that practically speaking, you can really get into some dangerous territory with that constantly self-checking. I would say, to your point, Joe, that it's not something you have to gauge. It is something that comes about naturally. There should be that enjoyment of God, and I, I think. Uh, the three of us, our families, way back long time ago, over a decade ago, got to go to Yosemite. And whatever the big overlook is there, I don't remember. But, I mean, you got Half Dome. You've got El Capitan or whatever. Yeah, just unbelievable. Some of the most beautiful scenery. And we were there right at sunset. I, I still, it's just burned into my memory. One of the most beautiful, incredible things I've ever seen in my life. I loved every minute of it. I did not take out my phone and turn it on selfie mode and take a picture of my face to be like, 
what is my reaction here? Am I enjoying this enough? Like that that wasn't I didn't have to do I that. I went back and because I was enjoying I went the back moment. and looked at some pictures of our faces back then. There's probably a reason that we didn't. <laughs> that, was, that was a long time the, ago. That was a rough the stage. That was brutal, man. That was uh, Yeah. <laughs> Go Facebook stock a little. It's good. Yeah. No, no please no, don't. Good point. No, we'll, we'll, yeah. No, I, I got to go delete some stuff. <laughs> Your point stands though, Jack. That's but, a really good point. Right. Right, like you, when you're there, when you get to that point, you don't have to ask. And the thing about it is, to get to that point, you don't have to rehearse it. The point is to turn the camera outward constantly, or really just put the camera away, and just live in the moment with your walk with God. Don't, you know, in the morning when you have your daily Bible reading, you don't say, okay, did I did I enjoy that enough? Did I get enough out of that? Did I really feel a connection there? Just go into it in faith that you... And so I think we're going to get to the elements that, that build this towards the right direction, things that I've learned, I guess, that have helped me. And, and one of them is the role of emotion in the Christian walk. We talked about, and in, in the letter, the lady said, just the emotion is totally shut off. I don't want to go too high. don't want to go too low. But then you see other Christians getting really emotional and you're like, man, are they faking it? Is that real? Is that, am I supposed to feel that? Like what, why do I well, not And I've been that? guilty and of so, being the guy that, that sees the overly emotional person going, wow, that person is clearly just, you know, doing it for attention, doing it for show or whatever. That's when, contrived. That's, right, when that's not always the case. And so this is one that I've really struggled with for myself because I, I wouldn't consider myself an overly emotional person. But again, growing up in the Church of Christ, emotion is really pushed, you know, out the door in the sense that, hey, you really shouldn't express much emotion. And so I guess my question is, what is the the fi- what is the balance here? What is the fine line? Because we've got on our outline, and we would all agree, you can overdo it. You certainly can overdo it. But we would also argue that you can underdo it. Um, and so what is the role of emotion? I, I think back to, again, I referenced CYC at the beginning of the episode. You've got 12,000 Christians singing, you know, Our God, He is Alive. That's going to invoke some emotion. That's going to invoke some some emotion about, you know, the fact that you're surrounded by family and that you're, you're praising God together. Uh, things like we just point out with Yosemite, seeing something that is incredibly beautiful that you know the God that you serve created. It's going to invoke some emotion. But I think you got to – we talk about the spiritual high type of thing. That's what happens at places like CYC and church camp or whatever. You're on the spiritual high, but – what is the role of emotion when you're away from that spiritual high, when you're not at CYC for the weekend, or when you're not in front of the Yosemite Canyon? What's the role of Christian emotion in your average Sunday worship? What's the role of Christian emotion in your average work week? I think that's what people like me struggle with is because, yeah, we know we can get emotional at CYC, and we know we can get emotional for in a, in a, in a good way, again, in front of the canyon or in front of the Grand Canyon or seeing the sunset at the beach or whatever it is, but what does that look like in everyday life where you're not, again, on that spiritual high? I would say, what's the role of emotion? Forget the Christian emotion and all these things. What's the role of emotion in your life? If you can't answer that and this email that we are starting with and that this is kind of based around, she specifically talks about, as you said, Jack, shutting down emotion. If you can't understand what emotion in general is for, then you're going to have a tough time feeling Christian emotion because then you throw in an extra layer of uh, difficulty, basically, of, okay, I... I don't want to feel emotion in general. Now I'm supposed to feel not just emotion. I'm supposed to feel this deep longing or joy for God. Man, I I can't hardly allow myself to feel happy or sad. So first, I would say you have to get the role of emotion right in your life and recognize. And one of the greatest, I'll tell you, people, it's Pixar. I'm not a big fan of Disney, as we all know. So if you own it, great, go watch it. If not, figure out a way to get it from some used store. Don't support Disney. Um, But... 
Pixar has a great film called Inside, Inside Out, Out and I use this. Yep. I've used this in therapy quite a bit because I recently just had an adult client who's like, basically, there's no reason for me to feel sad. Sadness is just always bad. And I said, you, I've got a movie for you. Uh, go watch Inside Out. And it's a great, it's a kid's movie, but not really. I mean, kids aren't going to grasp the concept of this is what sadness is for. And this is what all your emotions are for. We have to like grasp and, and understand God created emotion, and that's amazing. And you see in Psalms, David sometimes has these mountaintop experiences where he's very joyful in God. He's, he's just, he's exulting in God, right? And then there's other times where he says God's not near, but there's still emotion present. Is it Christian emotion? No, but it is emotion. He's, he's hurting. He's sad. Maybe he's angry toward his enemies, whatever it is. He feels the wide range of emotion in general. We can throw on, well, that's biblical or that's Christian emotion or whatever it may be. No, he just feels emotion. So for the people that say, well, do I feel enough toward God? The first question I think you have to ask is, do I feel enough in general? Do I allow emotion into my life? If you don't, that would speak more toward a trauma response. And that gets us in kind of to the next part of the outline, Jack. I'm going to let you take this one. But the role of, of the parent's influence. You wrote the outline, so you take sure. it from there. Well, this is something you've talked about before, that somebody's, the parents you have influence greatly your view of God. Uh, the kind of parents they were to you is is what you're going to think God is. If your parents loved you and were real close and all that, you're going to have a stronger view of God. If your parents were distant, if they were really harsh and, and you know cracked down all the time and uh, very negative and critical, that's what you're going to feel God was like. And so that comes into this as well. And, and what ends up happening sometimes is if you grew up with that, you have a performative obedience that you do it in either expectation of being noticed. Okay, I'm being the good kid, and so I'll, I'll get my parents' approval, and now I'm, I'm on good terms with them because of the good that I'm doing, so I'll keep checking the boxes so, so we're good. Or the negative thing of, oh, well, I don't want their negative attention. I don't want to be disciplined, and so I'll fly right so I don't get in trouble, so I don't get on their bad side, or, or whatever the case may be with, with that side of things. And so I think that bottling up of emotion, not knowing how to express it, is also a, a result of this as well, of what you grew up with. If you if you grew up in a house where it wasn't okay to be sad, it wasn't okay to be angry, channeled in the right way, or if you weren't taught how to deal with your, your anger or whatever negative that we would think of emotion, um, because those are going to come, those are going to happen. And if you are told to just stuff it all in, then when it's time for those things in your walk with God, what are you going to do? You're going to stuff it all in. And the same on the the positive of like you you learn to live this life of no highs, no lows, which is why the person decided they're a stoic is because no highs, no lows. That's a great way to go through life. You're never off kilter. You don't ever get so excited because then it's the pessimist optimist thing. The pessimists look at the optimists and like, yeah, boy, you're enjoying things now, but something's going to something's going to go wrong. You're going to stub your toe and it's all going to fall apart. Whereas, you know, when you're on the pessimist side of the thing, it's like, well, you need to learn to enjoy life a bit, but not too much. And, but I think the thing that to me, I resonate with so much in all of this is notice in all of this, how much overthinking is going on. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, that, I, this is something that when I was talking with Allison about this, as I've explained to her before, as a deep introvert, but also as, as a person who is just like so self-conscious you don't most people don't understand that those of us who are this way how much 
inner brain calculation is going on in a conversation in the hallway. For you, it's saying hi and waving and going on with your life. For me, it is 278 million calculations. What is this person Did thinking? Wave the right way? Yeah, well, what's their reaction? Yeah, like is, yeah. Yes, exactly. And then as you walk on, like, oh, did I leave a good impression? Did it just And other people can go through life just going, oh, hey, oh, that seemed like a nice guy. Move on with their life and that's it. And and when you find out that other people can do that, you're like, wait a minute. What? Like, I'm stuck in this head and you just get to, you know, breeze through life. And I, I think a lot of us have that self-consciousness about everything. And so your brain never turns off. And so you can't have the emotion. You can't have the just slow down and enjoy something because it's kind of Mary and Martha syndrome is really what it is, is I cannot sit still at Jesus' feet because something's got to be done. Jesus is going to think that the dinner's not done. My house isn't clean enough. My, da, 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 my, and, and that list just starts building up. Whereas Mary's simply enjoying it's, Jesus and listening to him. Right. That's exactly it. Is And again, it's, it's very self-focused of am, am I checking off all these boxes on this list? My own list that I've created in my own head for my own expectations that I'm trying to meet this arbitrary thing that nobody cares about except for me. And when you start pulling back and realizing, man, maybe I should just go sit at Jesus' feet and that's it. That's why I think be still and know that I am God is perhaps one of the single hardest verses in the Bible. And that sounds crazy, but truly, I'm especially for us Americans who are always surrounded by phones and everything else, be still and know that I am God. Sit in that for a second, because what that is, is anytime there's a, that's why people do it in Eastern religions, meditation and such, there's a peacefulness, and we don't really have peace. But what you're alluding to, Jack, is these Christians, and I think this would be you and, and a lot of people, you've made your living, so to speak, on intellectualizing things. Your claim to fame is being smart. Your claim to fame in, in terms of Christianity is, I know a lot about a lot. I know a lot about God. So does it make sense that you would kind of overthink some things that maybe the way you approach everything is, is to think through every possible. Yeah. Because that's what you've always done is you're intellectual. And so, but what, what is that? Just, what is that premise built on though? It goes back to the constantly self-checking thing. Do I understand it enough? Right. Am, am I at this right. level enough? Have I, have I gone to the, do deeper? you ever reach it? Right. Right. Yeah. I there, mean, there has to be a point where you get to the Mary stage and just go, it doesn't matter. Let me just enjoy it, you know. And and so at the end of the day, like, did I read my Bible? That I pray? That I have I done all the things that I need to get closer to God? And it is really is the place of just quiet in life, of getting to where you can shut your brain off. And you know, some people call it meditation. Some people have a negative connotation with that. Whatever it is, where your phone's put away, you're away from people for a few minutes. You know, you don't have tons of time in the day, but that's fine. Five minutes, just get away shut the brain off and and just chill for a minute be able to do that be able to enjoy the moment without constantly analyzing what am i supposed to be doing am i uh, again you're performing for somebody that's not even there for somebody that's not even watching for an audience that does not exist and when you're doing that in your christian walk of i'm being a good christian i'm doing it because you know i want to make sure when somebody looks at my life as a christian they think they're a good christian that they're making their they're getting their bible reading in they're getting their praying in they're getting their nobody's keeping score of it. I mean, like, obviously there's a judgment with God, but walk in the light, you're, 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 in, you're cool. You've, you know that part, you're, you're okay with it. That right there is personally one of the biggest struggles for me. The, the job that I had a few years ago when I was working with Amazon, there was so much to do, so many hours of the day that I became obsessed with time optimization. How can I make the most of the time? There, there's no sitting around. If I've got five minutes, well, that's five minutes that I can be doing something else that needs to be done. And... 
you know, while in the business world, that might be really, really good. And that might be make me really effective at what I do in Christianity. And even in family life, that's something that, that has really been harmful to me. Like I, I've since having Jackson and, and getting to sit and play with him in the floor previously, it had been like, okay, this is 15 minutes. I, I really have something else I need, I need to be doing. I need to optimize my time. Whereas no, what I need to be doing and what I should do is sit on the floor and play with him for 15 minutes or however long and just enjoy that time. I think very much so I can be guilty and I'm sure other people can of again, doing that with their Christianity is like not just sitting still, be still and know that I'm God in the car. I don't always have to be listening to something. I don't always have to be making phone calls. No, I can just sit. I can talk to God. That's something again, personally, that I desperately need to grow. And I've desperately, uh, again, because of having Jackson, I've seen growth there of, it's not just a checklist. It's not, okay, I've got to get my Bible reading done for the day. I got to get my prayer time done and then I can go enjoy myself. And I appeal so often to common sense in a lot of these arguments of, okay, common sense can tell you, you know, where you're at for the day as far as did you run and binge watch four episodes of fill in the blank before you, before you spent time with God. Um, And I I think all of us can, can self-diagnose and know, yeah, I spent an hour and a half on Facebook today. um, And that I I didn't prioritize spending time with God. I think, I think we can self-diagnose that as opposed to, look, I I know that I, I spent time in God's word this morning. I talked to him on my drive home, whatever it is, rather than constantly worrying about optimizing our time. Again, I think a lot of this can be common sense of, yeah, I, I spent time with God today. I, I prioritized him. I, I did the things that I needed. I had, I engaged in biblical discussion versus was it enough? Did I do enough? Did I, did I check off enough boxes? Again, personally, a struggle for me, but I think common sense plays a big role in that. And what you're talking about, well, especially of being alone in the car and such, another thing I would ask people, how well do you know yourself? If you're constantly doing for others, this is why the, the joy principle, I have a bone to pick with it. I, it's a good principle. I get it. But a lot of people will push themselves out of the equation. You so, mean the Jesus, others, yourself, Joe, yeah, J-O-Y? Yeah, yeah, Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, J-O-Y. Jesus, others, yourself. Love your love your um, neighbor as you love yourself. Husbands, love your wives as you love yourself. There is this idea that you do love yourself, right? You are taking care of yourself. And a lot of people push themselves out of the equation, and they never sit alone with themselves. They always have something going on. They always have the music on in the car. They're always around other people. They're on their phone, on social media, because they can't stand to be alone. If you can't stand to be alone, how are you going to be alone with God? Right, So your relationship with yourself has to be worked out as well. If you don't like who you are, you're probably going to have a poor relationship with God because you don't think you're worthy of coming to God. You're projecting your own insecurities, your own fears, your own problems with yourself onto the Almighty God. He doesn't see you that way. And you intellectually know that. But there is something that's blocking the, the thought going to the heart. And what I always say is, and I'll say this so we can move on, as I alluded to earlier, this is why I believe in the power of therapy and trauma work is... I I picture it as you have a thought going from your brain and it's headed toward your heart. I know God loves me. I don't feel God loves me. And I want to feel God loves me. There's a blockage in the neck. And it just, boop, it bounces right back up to the top. Why is that? Well, what's the blockage in the neck? I would say it's, it's attachment wounds from your parents. It's trauma. It's whatever it may be that's keeping you from feeling. And so most of the time, it's not just, going back to this point, it's not just I can't feel God. I can't feel anything, and I don't like being alone with myself. I don't like who I am, and so I'm always doing for others, which makes me look like a really good Christian. But in reality, the be still and know that I am God is a foreign concept. I don't want to sit alone with him in prayer. I don't want to be alone with my own thoughts. So I would say absolutely that's that's something that 
we want to work toward um, and in learning to kind of love ourselves. But this gets into the role of love, which our walk with God, I think, is is reflected heavily in our relationship with others, something I alluded to earlier with my porn addiction. And when I first started feeling the love of God is when I didn't fully feel that growing up. I felt it was kind of conditional. I mean, there was, there was a lot that, man, if they only knew about the depth of my sin. And then I got real with other guys in my life. And they did know about the depth of my sin. And they showed up anyway. And every week. And they'd text me multiple times a week. And it's like, whoa, they're not scared off from my sin. And it allowed me to physically see the manifestation of God's love. Because up to that point, it's kind of an esoteric concept, right? It's something that, yeah, I know God loves me. I, I know that God loves everybody. But yeah, it's kind of because he's obligated to. He's He is love. And so, of course, he loves everybody. But there's not an individualistic, like, he loves me. He died on the cross fully knowing my sin. That's when it changed for me and I started to recognize the love of God. Not to be selfish and focus on it, but instead of the blanket, oh, he died for everybody. But he didn't really die for me. Like, Or I'm, we're I'm all sinners, sure. that, that kind of idea. Yeah. Right. Instead of here's where I am and I saw in the love of God, I saw it reflected in my accountability group. That was so powerful in the first time in my life where I really felt love, like legitimate, unconditional love that I didn't feel it had to be me doing something good. Have you guys felt that? For sure. And there's very much this this love of others thing is about, and I know I used this illustration in another episode, that turning the selfie camera around, what I was talking about with the Yosemite overlook of just like, stop, stop pointing it at myself and point it at other people and not in the people pleasing way. Cause as you said, that is something that is very easy to make this mistake of, Oh, I'm just supposed to love other people. And so you spend your entire life subservient to the subservient to them of, you know, look guys, I'm a nice person. I'm a nice person. See, let me do all this see. I'm doing all this stuff for you. Are you noticing me? Are you noticing how nice I am and how good of a person I am? that's selfish that is self-focus it's it's using other people as a mirror to look at yourself don't do that just can as as you're talking about can you be one of the guys can you be somebody at church who just goes in thinking about other people and you know i'm just gonna go chat with them i'm gonna go be myself with them and and this is one of those again there's people listening to this who go yeah so what like that that's the everybody does that and then there's people who get it like me who are like that is the hardest thing in the world to just go be one of the guys to be one of the people to just go chat with somebody and enjoy it and move on like it is that difficult when you're this in your own head and so it is just love other people for themselves ask questions about them really you know joe's very good about this of just kind of interviewing people like oh well what about this what do, you know and and i'm sure some of that comes from therapy training and all that but it's it's cool to see how people in, open up about themselves because people are cool people are interesting people and and you're not doing it for some weird self-serving purpose it's just i'm going to enjoy this conversation genuine interest so, in the person i appreciate right. that the curiosity right, right. And just, I, yeah curiosity. i want to ask you i want to ask you though oh here, I don't think, here goes the interview <laughs> yeah but i don't sh- I don't see you struggle with being one of the guys in our group. What's the difference? What has helped you be one of the guys? I know exactly what you're saying in terms of there's this awkwardness of with others. And yeah, I got over that because I do think partly therapy, you just learn to be curious and, and people like that. But you were introverted, but you're not with us. What is it about our group where you can be yourself? You can be one of the guys. And I don't see you overthinking everything with us. Why is that? That's just, it's long-term comfort. But the idea of doing that with new people 
And and that's where you end up where you've had the same two friends, you know, you end up 50 years old where you don't talk to anybody else because you've got this tiny clique of people. And not, not that anybody has to be the person with a million friends, but that you can just walk into the church building and not have your little clique, but just go and chat and hang out with anybody and get to know everybody and, and have that kind of relationship. That is an important thing to be able to do. But you have two or three of these groups. We're not the only one. You have your dogma group. I think you're really close to them. You I'm growing. You got, I'm, I, 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 it's and it's a work to, in progress. That's to my you point know. is you're creating that by how. I mean, you are one of the more introverted or at least were one of the more introverted guys out there. But you have three different groups of, I think, two, three guys each that um, you're open and honest with. And no, not all of them include me, your brother or Will, who goes back 15 years. How are you doing that? I think this is so important for the people to hear because you are the guy that struggles with this most on this podcast. Like, yeah, I have struggled with it. I do even to a certain extent today, but I grasp it a little more. This one really hit home for you because I I think, again, it was so closely tied, but you're really growing out of that. I'm not saying that you're feeling all the levels of emotion, but you are connecting with other people, experiencing the love of God through them. What is it that helped you get past that? It, it it again is turning off that performative part. Can I just hang out and chill and, and talk Bible with the guys, talk sports with the guys, talk whatever else, common interests, whatever we're up to, check in on them, see what they're what's going on in their life, remember what you know important things they have going on, and and not need to be thought of in a certain way, not to be need to be campaigning and positioning myself in a certain. And it, again, it's just a repetition learned thing but it, it's a difficult thing but that love of others and love we feel from others does greatly impact us and so there's that side of it there's one last thing i want to get to with this and it is the role of faith it's believing in god hebrews 11 of course is the great chapter there and the assurance of things so for the conviction of things not seen in verse one but verse six especially you believe that god is but that's not all that faith is it's not just believing that that there is a God, which, you know, as, as in the email, she's like, I believe that, I know there is a God and all that, but it's the second half of that. Believing he is rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So you believe that something's going to come of it. And if you're constantly checking, you're, you're just constantly, again, checking your pulse constantly, am I enjoying this enough? That, that thing we talked about, you're not really trusting him. You're not really trusting god's ability to reward those who diligently seek them and so when you open your bible when you go to church when you pray whenever whatever it is you don't have to ask okay am i going to get something out of this am i really going to feel it you just believe he'll be there he'll come through with that let him handle that part that's the problem is we're trying to take that part right out of his that's hands. one of those things where the overthinking comes back into it because one of the things that was pointed out in this email is well, I don't, I don't fully understand heaven, you know, other than that it's a place where God is. I think a lot of, again, specifically heaven, but a lot of really what we're talking about here, we're never going to fully understand it. And that sounds like a cop-out answer. That sounds like a, you know, again, just something that's a cheap way to put it. But at the end of the day, we can strive to understand it as best we can, and we can try to fully grasp it. There's certain aspects of of our Christianity that do require what? Like you're talking about, require faith. It's not in it for us to fully grasp everything there is to know about heaven. It's not in us to grasp everything there is to fully know about eternity or about even how the blood of Christ that was shed 2,000 years ago can affect us today. Can, can we logically grasp it? Maybe a little bit, but again— I think sometimes we overdo the obsession with, I just got to know, I got to understand everything there is to know. We're not going to. And that's very difficult for, again, the overthinkers or for the really, the people who intellectualize uh, Christianity and and really want to dig deep in the scriptures. And that's a good thing. 
I think sometimes we're going to have to be content with the fact we're not going to fully grasp everything there is to know. That's where the faith comes in. Well, you know, I think God sees when we're asking what I really want to feel the emotion. You don't think he sees. You don't think he knows the trauma wounds and the attachment wounds and everything else that have really turned your, as they say, trauma not to beat the dead horse, but turn the um, receptors or, or the connectors into protectors, the things that keep us from feeling. You don't think God sees that in your life? He knows that you're desperately trying to enjoy him. He knows you're desperately trying to love him, that you're serving him, that you're not feeling it. God is aware of these things. Do I think there are going to be people in heaven who never once felt joy in God, but they, they showed up day after day doing the things trying to be Christ-like? Yeah, I do. I do, because part of this is not just, I don't think it's a prerequisite for you to have the emotion. That's obviously what God wants. That's what he's asking for us. But if we can't do to whatever it is, but we are desperately trying to, we're doing everything we can, God sees, God knows. I think there's grace for that. There's, there's, you know, that's a, one of the joys of the Christian life is that we get to know these things. We get to have these emotions I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, I don't think that it is a prerequisite in terms of you're going to hell if you don't. I think he sees what's going on. I think you should try to get yourself some help if you're really struggling with the emotional sides of things. But rest in the fact and and the peace that God does know you, God does love you, and that regardless of whether you fully connect with his love or not, it doesn't mean it's not there. And it doesn't mean he doesn't see you in what you're trying to do. And I think he'll still reward you for it because you are diligently seeking him, maybe with your mind alone, because you don't know how to connect the emotions yet, but you are diligently seeking him, and so there's a reward at the end. Would you agree with that, fellas? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, I know we said it earlier, I think that's kind of my closing application thing, is coming back to that, just being able to take a breath, be able to take the five minutes, whether you want to, you know, take a verse and, and memorize it and meditate on it, whether it's, a you know, prayer time or whatever but but not even you know prayer time is good and it's very important but not take a time that's not just prayer time because it's easy to say the prayer get up and then move on with your life just time to stop you can call it your your merry moment of just stop and enjoy just for a second for god think about you know what you have to be grateful for just clear your mind a little bit because that is one of the biggest challenges of modern life is shutting the mind off of getting away from all of this stuff that is pressing on us and we think we got to do this we got to do that what will was talking about of schedule optimization that's really important but we're also humans we are not robots we're not spreadsheets we're not anything like that and so if you can't find five to ten minutes in a 24-hour day that in itself is a problem but there is kind of this thought and and something i struggle with of if I'm watching a movie with my wife, well, I'm, I'm supposed to be doing this. I've got this other thing going on. You know, if I'm uh, out playing with my kids, okay, guys, uh, time's up. Like Will was saying, 15 minutes, I got to get back to game. You got to have just leisure in life. And when we live in a time where that's really hard to do, and that makes it really hard to connect with God. In the same way, though, that you none of us would have built a relationship with and got engaged and then married our wives if we didn't just have time where we went over hung out, set the phone down, and just enjoy their presence. Just do that. Just learn to do that. And man, I am I'm I'm giving out advice that it's like, all right, now I need to get off of this podcast and go practice that every single day. Because it's hard. It is very hard to get in this habit. And so then you get stuck in that that hamster wheel mentality of just going, 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 going. And you don't have time for that walk with God. And so if God feels distant, just 
stop every now and then be still and know as joe said uh believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him just say you know what i'm gonna do my part i'm gonna shut everything else out for a bit and make some time for god and let him handle the rest i you know i don't have to do the action and the result i'm taking it all in my own hands no leave his part in his hands and just do our part what do you guys have to add as we kind of conclude and give some application I would just um, encourage people, maybe look up a guided meditate, uh, meditation. I once heard somebody talk about you know, how you view God in terms of when you do a guided meditation, when you go to pray, are you viewing God as this, you know, and, and he is, dwelling in unapproachable light or as kind of the, and I didn't, I didn't fully resonate with it, but kind of like the grandpa who wants to, hey, come on my knee, come talk to me. And there for a time, I needed that at a point in my life because I felt God was so unapproachable. Man, a prayer, sitting alone with him, as you're talking, Jack, just being in his presence, that was so foreign. But when I was able to like kind of do this guided meditation where I'm looking over in, in the corner of my room and I see him sitting there as a loving figure, and when you invite Christ into the room, that may sound weird to people, but truly what I would do is, exactly as you're saying, Jack, sit alone for 10, 15 minutes. Maybe sit alone in your thoughts, sit alone in the depth of your sin. Whatever is going to help you you know, visualize or stay present in the moment and then invite Christ into the room. You're a picture of Christ. See what you do. Do you recoil? Does he stand far off? Whatever it is. And if your intellectual understanding of Christ is good enough, I think you know what he'll do. But there is an emotion that can come with that sometimes, but it helps you sit in his presence without feeling that we can't ever approach him appropriately. Like, no, he is somebody who cares for you. He loves you. And Christ opened up the way for us to be able to talk to God. I got two things to add. Um, the first of which is we can we can get so individualized with our faith and with our Christianity and kind of like the, the pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You got to figure it out all on your own. You you don't have to do that. And one of the things that I would encourage you to do is look around at your congregation, look around at people that you're close to that that you that you, and you talk to them about it, of course. But you see that they seem to have this under control, and that's probably not the best way to put it, but they seem to enjoy God. They seem to to feel Christian, however you want to put it. Talk to them about it. We've uh, we've been giving Joe his flowers quite a bit on this episode, but I'll do it one more time. Joe is one of the best uh, public prayer individuals that I've seen, and that's an area of my life that I've seen where I need to grow, and part of it is being around Joe and seeing he's not just getting up there rehearsing things. He's actually or, you know reading things that he's rehearsed. He's literally talking to God, and that's been something that's helped me. And so I would encourage you to do the same thing. Find somebody that does the same for you, whether it be with prayer, whether it be with, uh, again, simply enjoying time with God and, and, and talk to them about that. And so the second thing would be on that note, uh, I don't think we necessarily have a group think question for this episode um, but because this has been a very different episode. We, we have not we, – we've kind of thought out a lot of things. There hasn't been a lot of, okay, do this, do that. Um, but I would encourage you, let us know on Facebook if this is something – because you might be listening to this going – Yep, don't really struggle with this. Good for you. Move on. You know, you're doing better than we are. But if you do resonate with this as you're listening and, and you've, you've experienced this or maybe you've talked to people who have experienced this, let us know what are some things that have helped you along in this journey. Uh, again, YouTube comments, Facebook comments, whatever it may be. As you've heard, we certainly don't have all the answers here, but we've been hopefully trying to share some things that have helped us along the way. You've probably got something that we didn't even touch. And so let us know what is it that's kind of helped you in this journey of feeling Christian and really being connected to God again outside of a worship service. That would be the only other thing that I would add. For sure. I want to conclude with one more thought I, that kind of came to me in the last couple of minutes, but it's something that when I preached through it, it just it bowled me over, really moved me to tears, was the baptism of Jesus. 
and Jesus, you know, comes out of the water and the voice from the Father of this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And you think about, you know, Jesus is that son, that firstborn son that, that we he made it to where we could all be adopted as sons of God and and that we are his and that we second uh, Corinthians 5:21, we became the righteousness of God in him. He gave us his righteousness. And so by the transitive property of all of this, of when God looks at Jesus and says, in you, you know, you're my beloved son, in you I'm well pleased, he's well pleased in us too. He looks at us and says, you're my beloved, I, I'm well pleased in you. That doesn't mean he uh, he's pretending we don't sin. That doesn't mean he, we're not works in progress. That doesn't mean any of those things, but it just means we've been given that favor of God, that adoption as sons, all of those blessings that come in Christ that Ephesians talks about and everything else that we have in Christ, Put your own name in there, your own name in there. This is Jack, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, that God the Father is looking down at me every day and saying that. Even when I'm stumbling, even when I'm struggling, even when I'm not perfect, even when I don't get to all of my Bible reading prayer and, and boxes checked and all that, he says, that, that's my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's you too. Put your name in there. Say that out loud to yourself and then learn to believe it. It is really a powerful thing to believe that God loves you in that way and, and start to try and connect with it on that level. And so, again, as Will said, this might not have been one for everyone, but I guarantee if you listen to this and go, man, it's too bad some people struggle with that, I don't. People around you do. And and maybe you didn't grow up in the church, but you're going to raise your kids in the church. They might struggle with that. They might, they're might they going to have a whole different way of coming at this than you did. And so I think this is really valuable information to help one another uh, with with a struggle that I think a lot of people have. And so uh, I want to thank these guys for kind of indulging me. I sent this email over and said, like, I think we need to do an episode on this. And I'm not sure they were sold on the idea, but I'm really glad we did. Uh, I got a lot out of this. I hope you guys as the listeners did too. Uh, anything else we need to cover or tell people about before we go? All right, we will talk to you guys next week. Mm-hmm.